Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Farouk, and I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today, we have a phenomenal SDR-turned-AE, a cold-calling animal. It's Mr. Rod Baptista over at Zoom Info. Nick, why should people listen? Part of the reason I really liked this episode is Rod is a very different type of cold caller than I am. He doesn't use a permission-based opener. He's got some really interesting things about, like, he asks this easy question and then a hard question in a very specific order. And I just, it's different than the cold calling philosophy that I think I talk about a lot, which is part of the reason that I think you should listen to the episode because you can learn from both sides of the coin. And if you're afraid of your microwave going three, two, one, beep, (laughs) don't worry, folks, you won't get killed by radiation from your microwave. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. 
Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. All right, Rod, welcome to the show. We start every single interview with your top three actionable takeaways. So let's get your three. Absolutely. First takeaway is third-party value-add. Every marketing department is coming up with great content that we as salespeople can use. What sets you apart and makes you a consultative peer is if you bring relevant information. Sometimes that aligns with your value proposition or with your product, but sometimes it's just on the industry and industry trends as a whole that really sets you apart. And for example, one time I was working with a client who really wanted us to use only their own in-house content, and I found an article by Oracle in conjunction with a a nonprofit about how clinical physicians were spending their time on administrative tasks, which really aligned with our value proposition, and it was much more compelling. Beautiful. What's number two, Rod? Number two is client voice. Sometimes people call this voice of customer. There's different terms. Some newer reps are, are even unfamiliar with the concept. But the bottom line is when you're saying something, avoid making it sound like it's your thought your opinion, have your thoughts come out in the in the voice of one of their peers or one of their customers. For example, when I'm talking to a VP of sales, I'm not going to say, hey, this is what I think, this is what I know. I'm going to say other VPs of sales are telling me this. Very nice. Round us out. What's number three, Rod? Always have one usable fact. In today's day and age, personalization is huge. It, it kind of, in a lot of ways, it's always been, but it's, there's a lot riding on how personalized is your message? How much time have you invested before you've even sent them an email or made a phone call? If you can find at least one piece of information that ideally ties back to either your product, your solution, or the general direction in which you want the conversation to go, one piece is more than enough to get the ball rolling. You don't need to invest more than you know five or 10 minutes of time, especially when you get good at it. For example, one piece that I always leverage as I'm cold calling people now here at ZoomInfo is their tenure at the organization. And I'm always like, hey, you know, I know you've been with the company for you know five years now, a long time. How important is outbound net new business to you? Or if I see that they were a new hire, it's like, okay, I see that you were recently chosen to join the company. Congratulations. Are they growing the teams? Is there a big focus on outbound new business? Use one fact, whatever it may be, tie it back to the direction in which you want to take the conversation. Love this. I want to go back to client voice. And the reason is it reminds me of this one time where I went to my living room when Nick and I were rooming together. And I walked in and I, I saw him wearing a tin foil hat. And I was so confused. And I was like, Nick, what are you doing? He goes, I'm heating up a burrito, but I'm protecting myself from the radiation. And I fought him to death. But the moment that I told him that our friend, who's a chemistry major, said that that doesn't happen with microwaves anymore, he took the hat off. And so I completely agree with you that you need to make it seem like it's a client voice or a third party voice. Rod, one of the most common places this happens is actually towards the end of a cold call when you start getting objections. When people say, I'm on a current solution, or I'm using a competitor, or whatever it might be. So I'm curious, how do you use client voice when you get someone who is on a current solution and may in fact love that current solution? So you can say things like, you know what, I've heard that solution is great, I've heard great things about it. In speaking with other people in your role, in speaking with other directors of engineering, vice presidents of IT, Uh, managers of sales, the one thing they tell me about that solution is that they wish it had more. 
or they wish it was a little easier. And I'm just curious, that's when you ask either a very specific question or you can ask a very broad question. It's like, what is your experience with the solution? Clearly you like it, you know, what has been your experience overall? One thing that's particularly important with competitors is you can't call their baby ugly. And so oftentimes I'll start by complimenting their solution. And I'll be like, honestly, like usually it's pretty good. A lot of people really, really like it. But then you can switch to client voice and you don't say, well, we're better for X, Y, Z. But instead, what you can say is there have been a couple times where X, Y, Z people have, have switched from that to us. I don't know if that's going to make sense for you, but would it even be worth going through that stuff just so you know it's out there? And what you're letting them know is other people like you have done this thing. I'm not saying I think it's the right thing for you, but do you want to act like other people? Right. Well, one thing I want to add here is that story Armand told is totally and utterly false. But if it were if it were true, you should have started by complimenting me on Nick. I really appreciate how you're looking out for your health. And, you know, I've talked to some other folks who really care about their brain health. Actually, Rod, what you're doing here is really interesting. This client voice thing ties actually to the first takeaway that you had, which was sharing third party collateral, because you're not credible as a salesperson when the only collateral that you share is like your stuff, because they're like, of course, this is biased. Actually, anytime that I share a case study or a white paper that my team put together, I call out the fact to the client, hey, like we made this. So like there is some bias in there. But on page four, there was a really good piece that ties to the thing that you were telling me on the discovery call. What you are doing is you are calling out the fact that you are, of course, biased as a salesperson, but other people like you have said this and other media entities who create collateral have created this stuff. I want to go back actually to the very beginning of the cold call because on the pre-call of this, you were telling me that you're a pretty good cold caller and you've even trained some people on cold calling. And so I'm curious, like, let's say you're cold calling Armand. What do you do when Armand picks up the phone and he says, hello? Yeah. The first 15 seconds of a conversation are incredibly pivotal. And ideally, you want to figure out the person's name, how to pronounce it, and which version of it they have. For example, my full name is Rodrigo. I never go by that these days. I always go on LinkedIn and I look at people's recommendations at the very bottom to see the people that know them best, the people that have recommended them. Does this person go by Michael or do they go by Mike? And in the case of Armand, I actually know people with your name, so it's familiar for me to pronounce it. But in the case of similar names that I don't know how to pronounce, it's really easy to Google how to pronounce Armand. And then there's usually a YouTube video by like the Dale Carnegie Institute that tells you how to do it. Those things will get you more runway after 15 seconds worth of, hello, how's it going, Armand? This is Rod Baptiste at ZoomInfo. Well, it's really interesting. Like I, the second that you call him Armand or Armando, he's like, all right, this person doesn't know me. They're not even like associated with my world. And you put yourself into the telemarket sort of territory. What is the next sort of strategy or intent behind that part of the interaction? After leading in with a good pronunciation, knowing how their name sounds, then you, you can ask for permission. I've actually stopped doing that. I've actually moved away from asking for permission and I go straight into, in order to be conscious for your time. And then I just kind of segue into it. If somebody can't talk, they'll tell you. If somebody really can't talk, they'll tell you. And if somebody can't talk, they wouldn't have picked up the phone anyways. Asking for permission to continue being like, it's proper in some ways. And I've seen data that suggests that, you know, it works 50% of the time and it doesn't 50% of the time. It's a very stylistic kind of thing, but I've moved away from it to just going straight into in order to be conscious for your time. And then I either drop my research 
I ask a good question, or maybe I, I raise some relevant previous interactions, something like that. So let's talk about that. Instead of transitioning to the permission-based opener, you just say, in order to be conscious of your time, okay? What are the things that I can use after that line to keep someone engaged? In other words, what do you do from that point onward? So a big part of the Voresight methodology was getting to something we called the common challenge. And this is like, this is a couple of blocks down the line, but eventually I want to get to the point where I ask you a really, really good question, right? In order for me to ask you a good question, and by the way, our methodology was so focused around understanding the prospect, understanding the challenges and the trends related to your product and your solution, that you can have an entire conversation without going into an over-explanation of what you do and who you are, right? So I want to get to the point where I've earned the right to ask a really good question. If right after introducing myself and saying, in order to be conscious for your time, I drop a good question, that's going to have less chance of succeeding than if I take a little bit of time to set some groundwork, maybe use some language that I know will resonate with you, maybe ask a couple of really easy softball questions that, again, makes me sound like a peer and somebody who's credible in the space. So right at, so after introducing myself and, and not asking for permission to continue, I'd ask an easy question, but one that's based on ideally, the research that I did. In your case, I'd be like, hey, Armand, this is Rod Jaminfo. Uh, How's it going? Great. In order to be conscious for your time, I know that you've been leading sales since 2020. I'm just kind of curious, is outbound new business still a big part of your focus? And then I ask a very specific question, one that's easy to answer, but I'm not asking too much. Is part of this because if you hit him with something that like really requires some like cognitive brain power, the wall is still sort of up and they're like, this is too much thinking. I don't want to do this. Is that sort of the intent behind that or is there a different reason? Yes. And I love the way in which you're asking me the question because in Daniel Kahneman's Thinking Fast and Slow, he describes the brain as operating at all times in one of two systems, system one and system two. In system one, you're driving a car, you're brushing your teeth, you're doing the dishes. Your hands are occupied, but your pupils are not very dilated and you're not you don't really have to think really hard about what you're doing when you're engaged in some of these automatic activities system two means your pupils are dilated and you're thinking hard like maybe you're doing a real hard math problem or maybe somebody asks you a super challenging question and the intent of that softball question the intent of getting the person's name right leveraging information and asking like an intelligent or informed question in the beginning is to break them out of system one into system two. When I'm calling Armand like out of the blue in an unscheduled fashion, he's reading an email. You know, he's answering a text message. He is a million miles away. The moment that I start the conversation with something about him, I've brought him to the table. Well, this is critical. You you called it earlier, earning the right to ask a harder question. And I don't even think it's earning the right to ask a harder question. Rod, what you're doing first is you're actually earning the right to ask a question at all. So if we take out the research element, let's just play that back. Let's take out the research element of what Rod just said. Would have sound like is, hi, Rod from Zoom Info, da, 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 da. in order to be conscious of your time, is outbound new business an area of focus? I would be like, who the hell are you? I was like, I have no reason to answer that question. But if you say, Armand, look, I know you're a wrestler. I know you did this. I know you came from Carta. You're running an SDR team. I'm like, okay, I can play ball, right? I can play ball. You know who I am. You've done your research. And you say, 
just to make sure, is, is outbound still like an area of focus? You're almost like figuring out if it even makes sense to talk about your thing. Now I'm at least open to being like, all right, you're basically replacing the permission-based opener with a lighter question that's almost like a qualification question. And you've earned the right to ask that question by looping in what you know about me. And so let's say I'm like, all right, Rod, I'm willing to play ball. Um, yeah, of, of course, we're always trying to get more leads. We're always outbounding. We're always cold calling. Um, what's this regarding? I would either ask another softball question to try to have a better understanding of their world. Or at this point, I might just go straight into the common challenge. And the common challenge for us at Voresight is a really well-crafted question that they're going to want to answer. And the common challenge is composed of the client voice, right? So if I wanted to go straight into the common challenge, like beautiful in speaking with a lot of VPs of sales, they're telling me that. And then you can go with kind of like a, an industry trend or like in this case, a, a global trend of like COVID changed the way people do business. I was kind of curious how did that impact you? And it's always very important when you go down the common challenge route that your question end in an open-ended fashion. You know, how are you seeing that? How did that impact you? How are you tackling that? What's been the impact or whatever? Or you give them maybe a couple of options. You know, in speaking with a lot of VPs of sales, they're telling me that outbound new business is tough. And one of the core ways in which their sellers are differentiating themselves is on the phone right? There's kind of a, there's sometimes even a generational gap where the newer people are so accustomed to texting that they don't know how to talk on the phone anymore. <laughs> I'm kind of curious, you know, how have you seen that? Broad question. I touched on a couple of different things. In that case, I also leveraged a potentially biased <laughs> notion that millennials can't spend more time texting than they do talking to people on the phone than the former generations. But in either case, I've established myself as a peer, made it sound like these are not my thoughts. They're coming out I'm making my own opinions and thoughts come out of my mouth in the voice of their peer. And I'm asking an open-ended question at the end. In the best case scenario, they go on and they tell me, oh man, tell me about it. These kids these days, boy, sure, they, nobody wants to work anymore and blah, 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 and this and that. And ideally, at the very, in the very best case scenario, they just regurgitate pain and they give me everything that's wrong and they give me all of the stuff. And in there... When they're talking, I'm doing some active listening. I'm taking really good notes on the pain, the challenges. And from there, I want to transition into a value proposition. Interesting. So I was going to ask, my guess is if I'm gushing out pain, and then I want to come back to if they're not gushing out pain, but if I'm gushing out pain and I totally get it, these kids won't dial, I'm a grouchy old man. My guess is you're not going, great, let's meet. Talk to me about the segue from you pulling information and asking questions to now you possibly giving information or telling them how you can solve that problem. That's the transition to the value proposition. That's basically leading up to me making an ask. So in the instance where you're like, boy, tell me about it. These kids don't want to dial. Nobody wants to work. And you know, I, you know, the other, just the other day I hired a kid to come in and then he came, he showed up to the office 15 minutes late after on his first day. And I'm like, but boy, nobody, you know, in my, back in my day, and then you go, you go on and on and on. Right. I want to transition to the value proposition. In order for me to do that, first, I'm going to show you that I've heard you. And there's some really easy ways of doing that. Chris Voss in Never Split the Difference talks a lot about how as a hostage negotiator, if you wanted to like just get someone to keep talking, repeat 
literally repeat the, the last words they said back to them. You know, if they said, and then nobody wants to work these days. And you, you can literally just respond to that with like, and nobody wants to work these days. Even though I'm shaking my head, this is a phone call. You can't see me. I bet you the other person, I bet you when they, when I tell you something that you just told me, you're going to be shaking your head. You're like, oh yeah, I agree with that opinion. And there's going to be a little bit of a, like, you're not going to be conscious of the fact that you just gave me that opinion. That's why you agree with it. So first I want to active listen. I want to use some of the exact language they used. I might sprinkle in some more client voice and be like, other VPs of sales are telling me nobody wants to work these days. I hear that literally all the time, right? Active listening is the first sort of big half of that. And then the second big half is when I transition into the why we exist. Simon Sinek talks a lot about the golden circle where people don't buy what you do first. They buy why you do it. At the very center of the circle, it looks like a, a bullseye. The very center of the circle is why, the medium ring is how, and the outside ring is what. A lot of times, as sellers, we're going into these conversations being like, here's what we do, what, 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 and also I'm only talking about me. That's going to miss the mark on a bunch of on a bunch of fronts. But if you tell somebody, like, instead of like, if you in the example of you thinking millennials don't like to call, instead of being like, you know, that's what we do, we help millennials call. If you just transition into like, that's why we exist. We exist to empower sales teams to go beyond what they're comfortable with or to give them the data so that if your teams don't like to call, we'll give them people, we'll give them all the email addresses they'll ever need. And if your teams love to call, we'll give them everything they need. Like what, whatever, like I'm, I'm kind of, these are some bad examples, but the bottom line is the reason that your company exists, your raison d'etre is to solve whatever challenge or pain they just gave you. And what makes you a good salesperson is how easily on the fly you can sort of merge those two points together. And so just to recap what you're doing. So we've gone through everything leading up to the value problem. So the first thing you're doing is you're introducing yourself, then you're not doing permission-based opener. You then go to, in order to be conscious of your time, you insert your tailoring and you ask almost like a light question to earn the right to ask a bigger question. Then they answer the light question and you're really going deep on a common challenge where it's like outbound is just really painful nowadays and COVID and these kids don't wanna dial, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's when you ask your big question. And then if they're gushing their hearts out, you then say, hey, I hear this all the time. You're first showing that you listened and you heard it and you're not just jumping right into pitch. And then what you're doing is you're tailoring your pitch and saying, what you just told me is quite literally the reason that we exist, as opposed to saying, Zoom info is your single source of truth for contact data information, right? And so I imagine this means you have to be pretty like, crafty and good on the fly with describing what your thing does. You can't just have a standard elevator pitch. How do you tailor your pitch to what they do? Or do you have like three or four common versions of your elevator pitch that describe what you do such that it is tailored to the problem that they shared with you? Or are you basically saying the same pitch every time? It's easier than it sounds. And the formula is literally... Um identify their pain or their challenge um, and then be like, and that's why we exist. We exist to address the question of millennials not wanting to call. We exist to address the question of moving your sales teams to a more digital world, right? Whatever. 
that sent the, the sentence doesn't even have to be grammatically correct <laughs> the formula is we exist to address x and your x is better the better you are at active listening after they've gushed about their pain when you've sort of used your active listening you've shown your empathy a good way of knowing that you're on the right track is something called a verbal nod right if you hear somebody going like mm-hmm or like yep you they're probably on the other line also physically nodding their heads the more you use their language back at them the more you'll be like okay this this resonates with you this sounds right if you have a good idea that like okay this this is both a challenge that they've told me and it you know they, they like it and and i can work with this right like if you told me your challenge is like if i said oh you know kids don't want to dial these days like how are you seeing that and then you answered with like oh man our it department has no funding and, that, and then you just go gush on about that. It's going to be a lot tougher for me to be like, that's why we exist. We exist because your IT department has no funding. So it is a little tricky, but if they give you anything within the realm of like, it's easy for me to put that under the umbrella of like, we do that, don't go into detail. Don't start going off about who you are, what you do, and especially don't over elaborate on exactly how it is that you fix it just say that's why we exist and that's why i was calling you today i wanted to find a better time when i'm not catching you at you know 7:51 p.m on the east coast to show you a little bit more of what i'm talking about to show you some of how we've done work with your industry peers even that's the go for time that's when you're asking for the meeting and then you ask for specifically like and then ideally you're, you're going to be like that's why we exist that's why i'm calling to show to elaborate more on that are you free tomorrow at noon. And then you have a very specific day and time you suggest because you want them to look at their calendar. You know, that I really like that. And I never realized, I always hear a lot of people talking about, you should just have an interest-based CTA. Would you be open to learning more? Would you, would you be open to taking a look at this? And what you're doing is you are, the reason that you ask for a specific time is you're implying, hey, you should be pulling your calendar up right now. And what you didn't do there was you didn't ask for, hey, are you free at noon on Tuesday or three on Thursday? Because to the point of like, we want to lessen the cognitive burden that we put on the other person, you are just asking for a single time. And it makes things probably easier for you too. You're not trying to juggle, oh, wait, oh, sorry, wrong with time zone, you screw that up. Rod, you have challenged and changed a lot of my preconceived notions about cold calling, which means this was a killer episode, man. But we are running out of time. The clock is ticking. And so we got to move to the final question. And the final question is this. We have talked about a lot of really great things salespeople should be doing. Now we need to flip that on its head and ask you about a shouldn't. And so the last question is this. What is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople exhibiting that you think they need to break because it hurts them more than it helps? And it cannot involve burritos and tinfoil hats. People lead with themselves right? People are often leading the conversation with who their company is, who, what the product is, whatever. But they're like, if, if I'm calling Armand and I'm leading the conversation with stuff about me, that's going to work so many fewer times. So the coin spin, is that going to land my way than if I were to call Armand and lead the conversation with him? So don't lead with your product. Don't lead with your company. In as much as it's possible, lead with them. Lead with your prospect, lead with your customer. All of this third-party content that you're coming across, leverage it, but also read it. 
pay attention to the language that they're using, be a peer, and I'm kind of bleeding into other scopes, but lead with them. Beautiful. Rod, thank you for joining us. Everybody stick around for a 60-second recap coming up soon. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto-reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press Command-H, and Superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of Superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. Otter AI's Otter Pilot for Sales gives you the freedom to sell on your discovery calls by taking notes for you. One of the best ways to deepen your discovery is to ask your prospect about the impetus behind their goals. So when a prospect tells me they want to advertise on more sales podcasts, I'll say, well, it's not every day that you wake up and decide you want to sponsor a podcast. What's causing you to even explore this in the first place? Now, we put together the ultimate discovery checklist with our friends at Otter AI, which you can get for free at the link in the show notes. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there, in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Rod Baptista include number one, when you're picking up your phone, Rod actually doesn't use the permission-based opener. He introduces himself and then he goes right into in order to be conscious of your time. And that brings me to tactic number two. What he will do is he'll insert his tailoring after that phrase and start with a light question. That might sound like is outbound new business an area of focus for you. Number three, once you get a, uh, yeah, that's when you go for your bigger question where you describe a common challenge you see for that persona or that industry, what have you. And that is your bigger question. And then number four, if they start gushing out about that question, then what you do is you say, Hey, I hear you. You show that you listened. You explain that that is why you exist, and then you suggest one time so that you can explore if it makes sense to solve that problem together. All righty, Nick, how can people help us out here? Well, you know, Armand, I tell you, when I'm waiting for my burrito to heat up, I usually like to read the reviews that people like of this show. And unfortunately, I've had nothing to do since August. Nobody has reviewed our show since August, and so I'm sitting there... I don't know what to do with my hands. I don't know what to do with my eyes. My pupils aren't dilated. So please, for the love of entertaining me while my burrito heats up, give us a rating and a review. Review. I don't want to just look at a rating. I want to read a review on your podcast platform of choice. And we'll see you next week on 30 Minutes to President's Club. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. 
And this was stolen from the gong, 30 MPC, 90 minute masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Today's show is brought to you by Exactly Forecasting, which is a flexible sales forecasting solution that uses AI and data to help you call an accurate sales forecast. Gartner says over half of sales leaders don't have high confidence in their forecast. One way we recommend to improve your forecast is to align as a team on explicit attributes that must be true in order to deem a deal forecastable. That way your forecast will get clearer and the team will know where to focus efforts. We put together a forecasting 101 guide with our friends at Exactly. Get it for free in the show notes. 